a guy asked a question when we were talking about how much to give to Lottie Moon that year, and, and he was just simply asking when we're going to have her paid off. Uh, he thought it was a debt we owed each year, and we just raised a bunch of money, and uh, eventually we've got to pay this lady off. I don't know how much we owe her. Uh, but the reality of it is, is you can't pay that off because you and I owe so much to a God who's been so good to us. And sometimes he says send, and sometimes he says go, and sometimes he says give, but he always says pray. Uh, and it's something we continue to do. Look at Isaiah 53, if you would. I'm going to be looking at these 12 verses, and primarily as I look at it, let me just say I appreciate also in the cooperative program that as we have Lottie Moon, as we have the offerings that we give, a part of what you do in cooperative program is you help pay my salary as well because I teach at Southeastern Seminary and I'm honored to be a part of that uh, faculty there and even to be invited here because this is where, in my mind, where ministry really takes place. Uh, it is the local church. Uh, that's the way God has ordained it. That is the way he has always administered it. And as we do that, it's one of those things that it's always a privilege, it's always an honor for us as we gather in a country like this to worship him. Uh, it wasn't too many years ago, I, you know, I, I know I probably look like I'm only 29 or 30, but uh, if you say that, well, yeah, uh, for a guy 100, I don't look too bad, but a guy that's a little bit younger than 100, well, I was in Vietnam. Uh, I was a Marine sniper in Vietnam. I spent uh, quite a bit of time there in a reconnaissance unit, and I know that in doing that, it's changed considerably from the time I was there, and God has opened a door right now that I know Southeastern uh, Seminary, we've had uh, uh, several of our folks, uh, Aiken, Keith Lee, different ones who've been over there, our presidents, vice presidents who've been over there to help set up and, and to work with that gentleman that was on the earlier video in order for us to be able to have a connection there and to be able to get back into those countries because Buddhism has overwhelmed it. And I'm going to share a little bit about that just here in a moment. But would you pray with me as we seek God together in this? Father, we thank you again for your love, your grace, your blessings. Lord, we've already been privileged to hear music that honors you, that praises your holy name. To see these young folks as they have read scripture, as they have talked about the story of a lady who had a passion for your word, Lighty Moon. And the opportunity we have to unite together in both our voices and our actions to begin to spread the gospel around the world. What a privilege, what an honor that is. Father, as we now tend to your word, we ask that you might open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to what you have to say to us today, and that your Holy Spirit would guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look at Isaiah 53, he says, and as I think about the Christmas message, often we get caught up in all the trappings of this country. And everything that appeals to us. Now, I love Christmas. I always have loved all of the things that go with it. I don't remember a lot of gifts when I was a kid. But I remember the feeling and I remember the experiences. I remember the food. I remember the time of being with family. And how critical those things are in doing that. And sometimes we allow all of these things to get into the way of the real message and what it's about and why he came. They call that the first advent. Now, I grew up in a small... Uh, Baptist Church in Western Kentucky, that's where I'm from, uh, and, and out of that, I know that in doing that, they talk about First Advent, Second Advent, well, I didn't grow up in a liturgical church, didn't know what they were talking about, didn't mean a lot to me personally, but as we hear things like that today, and they talk about the First Advent, the reality of it was the first coming of Christ, the first coming of the Savior, 
They looked at him, and the Jew looked for a king. The Greek looked for a god who would ride in as a conquering lord. But they got the suffering servant, and it confused them. They didn't understand why he did what he did. And today, many still don't, and still don't recognize the message there. But he goes on and says here, Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him, God, like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regard him stricken, struck by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. And he, and we are healed rather by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. And he made him sick. When, he make, when you make him a, a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and he and the will of the Lord and succeed by his hand. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil because he submitted himself to death. And he was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. As you look at that passage, you begin to find out here very quickly that this story doesn't, it doesn't unfold like most would think a king would come into this world. It doesn't happen like you and I would even probably have written it. Matter of fact, we call that history. And as I think of history, I think of history in this way. History is his story. And it is about him. Because history and his story being put together is talking about a greater set of events that occurred rather than just the simple things that you and I have. And I think of his story in this way because what is the name that was his name, his favorite name for himself? If we move in history like that, we find something that is very unique about it is that in history, it is not an unusual experience to think about the idea that, that out of all of that, we have names for places, events. And when I hear certain things and you hear certain things, like a name or a place, it brings back a memory. It's not words, but it's a memory. Now, when I heard today and I saw 
the gentleman who was speaking here as a missionary. I've been in Saigon. I've been in Da Nang. I've been all through that country and uh, was there during what they call during the, uh, the, the early 70s. Uh, was the second, uh, it was the second offensive or the second Tet or the Easter offensive. And I remember being in a country that was war-torn, that was ripped apart, and all of the turmoil. And, and yet, I still remember this just like it was yesterday, being in a place where a missionary had a heart and a passion that was quite different than the one that I had and the experience that I had. And seeing him love a people that in a time that it seemed like as I heard what, what I would hear, Quezon, or if I heard Saigon, I thought of something of war-torn. But when I talked to him, his hearing of those names meant something totally different. Just totally different. He had a love and a passion, and what I saw there at times began to help me see some things, because I was a believer when I was there. But I was there on a mission. I was there on an assignment. I was there for a different reason. And where I was, they were trying to kill me all the time. And I remember being in those experiences like that, and yet seeing how can a man have passion and compassion for that and how when they hear certain things now you and i have those names don't we i bet if i were to go around this morning some of you even have a family nickname don't you and some of you like to talk about that and share that and even in communities i've been a part of as a pastor you always find in western kentucky i'm sure it's not true in in this uh, part of the state but you always found every place you went there was somebody called bubba not just rural, rural part of America and, and doing that. Every place I've been, there's been a Bubba. And, and just about every place I've been to, there's a guy that if they mention his name, they have a smile on their face like, and Terry will know what I'm talking about when I say Leroy. Because Leroy was just one guy in a church that I was at. And Leroy was a guy that never had a serious moment in his life. <laughs> and anything. I mean, have you ever been someplace some, and you've seen somewhere and you've seen a guy, where is it a where is the most inappropriate place to tell a joke? At a funeral. I mean, I don't mind telling one at church or something, but, but at a funeral home and sitting right there, and the guy who was grieving his brother had died, and he's telling these stories, and when you do that, and all of a sudden he just started laughing. And I said, I've got to get away from the family even because this is inappropriate. And somebody say, yeah, but that's just Leroy. And you can kind of catch a Leroy in that. Do you know a Leroy? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a Leroy, a Leroy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the name for Christ is Son of Man. That's his name. That's the one he preferred above every other name. It's his favorite term for himself. His disciples would call him Master. Those who would call him Teacher. Others would call him a demon or a devil because... Each one of those names, they wanted to signify what they thought about somebody. That name means something. The Son of Man here comes literally out of and relates to Isaiah 53. He was linking back to the Hebrew mind. The Hebrews would be the ones who would call for his crucifixion. He came to them first as a Jew. And as he came to them first as a Jew... He would reach out to the uttermost parts of the world through that. And it would not be because he came on a white horse. Not because he was born in a palace. Not because he came in to say, you're okay and I'm okay. But he came in rather to say, sin has to be punished. It must have a payment that goes on there. Isaiah 53, as we read that, we 
we have these suffering servant passages here. And the first question is, how was this suffering servant supposed to come into the world? How was he to come? Verses 2 and 3 tell us that. How was he to come into this world? Again, you know, if I were to think about how somebody came into the world, it's going to be a coronation. It's going to be the palm leaves thrown on the ground. It's going to be something wonderful. But when he came into the world, it said, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he was born here of a woman without a man. And in that, he came forth from woman and he would face the exact same things that you and I would. No difference. There'd be pain. There would be hunger. There would be loneliness. There would be fear. And he says down in here, it says about him, though, that he came out and he didn't come out looking like you and I would think as a king. Now, for a Hebrew, they think of a guy like Saul. Saul looked like a king. He became king because they said, look at him. He's head and shoulders above everybody. I, I go back, and, and this is not a part of the sermon, but my militaristic mind, because I spent a lot of years in the Marine Corps and doing that, it's one of the things I remember in looking at. I remember a guy by the name of Audie Murphy, and uh, many of the older folks would know who I'm talking about. Younger folks have no idea who I'm talking about. World War II breaks out. A young guy who grew up very desperate, five foot seven, 135 pounds, and he was too young. Goes down to the Marine Corps, they reject him, too little. He goes to the Army, tries to get in the Airborne, they say too small. He ends up getting in 3rd Infantry Division, and they're trying to get rid of him all the time because he's too little and too young, too inexperienced, and he won the most medals of any soldier to ever serve in the United States. The most decorated man coming out of World War II. Shockingly, he led troops against machine gun fire while others dropped dead. He overcame the enemy. He did all of these great things. And in the midst of all of that and doing something like that, when I hear the name Audie Murphy, I think of a hero. Those before him thought of a little guy who's just a nice guy. Jesus came into the world looking like the Audie Murphy. He came in looking like nobody of significance, and yet he became the hero of a fallen world. What about these passages here? How did he come into the world again? Jesus came in as the suffering servant. Verse 3, he was despised, rejected, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. Anything that you and I face, we can honestly say because Christ came the way he did, he came in a way to where you and I are just like that. Is Jesus this suffering servant? You better believe he is. His life revealed that over and over and over. Another question that I had as I look at these texts here, verses 4 and 5, is why was the suffering servant coming into the world? Why would he come like that? Why wouldn't he ride a white horse? Why wouldn't he just demonstrate who he is. Can you imagine that they would play the trumpets and there'd be the voice from heaven and said, here is my son, honor him. And he comes riding through. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? When I think of my own child, I've got my, my wife, Terry, and I, uh, and she's sitting here with, you know, with me today and are here with me. And I, I know we've got one daughter. And out of that one child that we've had over these years, we've tried to give her every opportunity we can. And I, I know that it's been something I wanted to do would be to help her in every way I could help her. Now, having been a trained sniper, she reached her adolescence. 
with some idea about guys coming around. <clears throat> it just so happened during that time, I, I had a sheriff's department had contacted me because I went through SWAT training with the FBI, and I remember when I went through that, they asked me, would you help us? And I said, I've got a teenage girl running around here. You better believe I will. And I remember helping set up night scopes and, and playing with all these little instruments they had. And I remember some of the guys coming in. Matter of fact, one of them came up and he beeped a horn a couple of times. Last time he did that. I went outside and had a conversation with him. And I usually start out with his name. Boy, you got something in my house you won't? Of course, you, know, you do that boy thing anyway. Y'all country folk, you know what I'm talking about. You do that, and then when you do that, say, come on inside here if you want to see her. You're going to have to come in and deal with me first. Well, I plugged in Sands of Iwo Jima. I've got a Glock with five high-capacity magazines that I was using with the Sheriff's Department, and I had them loaded, and I unloaded them right in front of him, just one at a time, talking about my experiences as a Vietnam Marine. How good a shot I was. How better a shot I'd been if I had what I have now. <clears throat> you know, I, I wanted to treat her like a queen. Now, she kind of took that as a resentment in some ways. That guy came back that time. He didn't come back anymore. and That was okay. I said he wasn't, he wasn't worthy of her anyway. You know, as a parent, you kind of tend to feel that way, don't you? How do you think our father felt about his own son? God the Father to God the Son. And where that was. And that love that was there. My friend, if you and I can't get a grip of anything else, it's simply this. God had to love us so much to sacrifice His own Son, Christ, the Messiah, for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I see me for who I am, I realize how unworthy I am of that kind of love. He goes on and says here in verses 4 and 5, He bore our sickness. He carried our pains. I like that song, the hymn song that says, and He carried our pains far away. All our griefs have been bore by Him. All of this came down to Him and not on us. I just can't imagine that. That kind of love that He would have for you and I. As this holiday season approaches, a lot of times you and I begin to think about the birth event and how wonderful it is. Yes, it is. It's wonderful you, for you and for me. But for him, it was God stepping out of the portals of glory as a king and laying aside just for the moment, not his deity, not his personhood, but he laid aside the powers for the moment and his exercise immediately of those powers and he set in human flesh, Philippians 2 says, so that he could experience what you have experienced. My friend, you think you're going through agony now? and you need help, turn to Him. He knows better than anyone else what you're facing and how to help you get through that. You see, Jesus, if He is this suffering servant, and you see why did He come into the world, Luke 19.10 tells us that. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, a lot of times we think of that as though He's talking about a person. That which was lost is an idea. That's why it's couched the way it is. It's it's a term that is used there as the idea that he was searching not just for lost person, one person. He was seeking to correct all of creation. 
Because even in Romans chapter 8, it says, the world groans in agony since the fall. Even the earth does. The seasons that pass, the thorn and the thistles, thistles, and the sickness and all the things that are happening around us, all of this bad stuff, He wants to stop all of that. And He wants you and I to have a complete, good, quality relationship with the Father. And the only way to have that is through the Son. You see, you go to Vietnam and Buddhism, Hinduism, You'll find there Confucianism are, are the, the ideas of that. And then all through Asia, Shintoism and things, that's where they build totem poles and they do it in honor of something or they build statues. They have a Buddha doll there that, that is there. And I said the other day, somebody said they, had a, they saw a T-shirt they liked and it said, I have a body of a god, too bad it's Buddha. Well, bald and big belly. But, but in that whole process... You and I know what the world is looking for today. They're looking for an answer, but they keep looking in the wrong place. That's why we need to carry that message outside these four walls here. Who placed the suffering servant on the cross? Who placed him there? Who did that? Verse 10 says, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. You know the word here, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, always look at it. That's the name of God. That is his name, Yahweh. The very name. You'll see sometimes capital L with a little O, little R, little D. That's his title. That's master. Adonai. But you see here, Yahweh himself, the very name of God is saying that here the Lord was pleased to crush the Savior, the Son of God, God the Son, there. And he was crushed with your sickness, with your disease your infirmities matter of fact in verse 10 there he uses the word and it's translated in different ways but it's guilt offering it's an offering that says something has to die hebrews says it this way there is no remission of sin without blood this is the point where you find both in what is called the doctrine of imputation is that god took all of your sin and put it on christ and he took all of his righteousness at the point of his payment when he said on the cross, it is finished. The payment was paid in full. And he was buried. And on the third day, thank God, he arose. That's what I love, an empty cross, an empty tomb. And now you and I don't bow to Mecca once a year. We don't try to take a pilgrimage to Mecca or something to see a grave where there is someone found there called Christ. But he is the Messiah. He's a risen Christ. Heaven now. What a joy that is to know that. A guilt offering took care of it. If you looked at uh, how Jesus poured out his own life, it says in John 10, verse 15, 17, 18, you can read that sometime, but the essence of that is this. He said, no man takes my life. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And it's my choice. No one can take it. The Father has given me that power. And here's the covenant relationship from the fall, or before the fall, and even before time, is that there was that covenant between God the Father and God the Son that when He laid down His life on the third day, God the Father would resurrect Him. And He would be then seen as King. And a King who is Redeemer. A 
king who's paid a price. I have to say at times, as I see all this pomp and circumstance, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an American. I, I don't make any apology for that and, and never look down uh, the idea of that, and I'm proud of it. But when I see all this pomp and circumstance and other countries and here with the, the British weddings and all that, and I mean, it's a lot of hoop. I really don't care about that and, and doing it, but I see those guys. But every now and then they'll talk about one of them like they really amounted to something. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, you can see somebody who's got more money, more time uh, than they do sense. And out of the midst of all of that, they go out here and do all these big things. And then somebody wants to say, isn't that something that Prince Harry actually has a job? Hey, welcome to my world. <laughs> welcome to yours. That's where we are. Jesus didn't come as a Prince Harry. He came like you. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. And he chose to do that. My last question here is this. What are the results of this? So what? What's the result of this? Suffering servant. Look in verse 11. It said he will see it out of his anguish. And he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. The word justify, the old preacher said it well when he said, it's just as if I had never sinned. God looks at you like that. I know me. You look at me, and I, I know how you look at me. You probably are looking at me and saying, he's probably the most perfect person I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from the word now because it's going to get burning hot here in a minute. Uh you know, I, I can go to the seminary and I carry the title doctor. That's PhD is piled high and deep. And that, that typically means you, you study everything there is about nothing until you know absolutely everything there is to know about nothing. And when you get there, then they give you that title. And, and in there, it's interesting, somebody comes in and say, Dr. Purcell this, Dr. Purcell that. But you know, when I come home, my wife... She's known me too many years now. We've been married 37 years, and it's amazing because she's only 29. But, but, but out of that, she knows me. And, you know, I know she's impressed with me in many ways. <laughs> Just like when I go to my, my daughter and I go to my son-in-laws or I, I see my grandkids. You know, my grandkids have got this thing called me Peepaw and in... I've never known what a peepaw was. <laughs> I tried to argue with my granddaughter, and I kept saying, uh, at that whole time, I kept saying, no, 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 not, not peepaw. My name is Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. And she'd say, peepaw, Grandpa, peepaw, Grandpa, peepee. <laughs> I said, peepaw. <laughs> Let's go that. <laughs> you know, in the middle of all of that, you know, they see me quite differently than a student would who's depending on me for a grade. You and I can look at God as though we're depending on God for a grade to say, come on in, but the price is already paid. You show up, it's salvation, and it's like this. You've got an A. And you know what? You don't even have to worry about keeping it. Because I can tell you this, if justified is true in Scripture at all, there's not one thing from the point of salvation, not one thing you can do to make God love you more. There's not one thing you can do to make God love you 
less. He loves you that much through His Son, Jesus Christ. Lastly here, verse 12, it said here in the very last sentence, He bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. You and I rebel constantly. It didn't stop when I was a 14-year-old boy and I got saved one day and then all of a sudden from then on, it's been wonderful. No, I know my mistakes. I know my infirmities. I know my sin. And I know he knows it. And I can dress up on the outside, but he sees me on the inside. And the only hope I have is if he can see his son, Jesus. And I can hear him now, according to 1 John. He's my advocate. He pleads the case. And he said, when Satan says, let me tell you about Larry Purcell. Let me tell you this. Did you know this? Did you? And the father can hear the son say, wait a minute. He's mine. Already paid that price. You have nothing else to say. Are you a part of his family? Greatest gift you can get this year at Christmas is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're going to have the invitation here now. And Lee can come and stand here in a moment and I'll ask him to. You know him and if you'd come to him and, and if you have anything you'd like to share. But here's the beauty of salvation. Right where you sit, you can ask Christ in your heart right now. You can trust him. And he'll save you. If you want to make it public, follow him in baptism, church membership, we open that to you. Follow him in faithfulness. Father, we ask now that you might take this moment that we have. We call that an invitation because we invite folks at this time to consider what's been offered to them. The suffering servant. You paid it all. All to you, Lord, I owe. Sin had left that crimson stain you washed it white as snow. Father, take this invitation and honor yourself through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? All who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy. As deep cries out to deep, we sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, come, all who are thirsty, 
Spirit. 